Hello and welcome to the uh, the third podcast from On Landscape here. I'm with David Ward and Joe Cornish. And since our pilot episode, we were sent a bunch of questions by various people. Um, and so w- without waffling on, I'm going to get started with the questions, if that's all right, David and Joe. Go for it. I, absolutely. Although before you do, Tim, just uh, I wanted to say a big thanks to everybody as well. And I don't know if you, given the brilliance of the questions that we've got and the number of them, do you want to quickly just run through the people who sent them so that they know that they'll be coming, even if we don't manage it all this time? Absolutely. Yes. Well, we've got from, I'll go through the list. We've got, we might not get them all, like you said. We've got Ed Hannon, Dave Varro, Paul Watson, Joe Rainbow, Trim Iverberg, Simone, Morag Patterson, Tony Higginson, Mike Prince, Tony Gaskins, Paul Mitchell, Robin Jones, David Spate, Helen Isles, Samuel McDonald, Dave Knight, James Fortune, Robin Jones, and Anna Duke. So we have quite a few, and I know there's probably a couple more since then. So uh, we'll come back to those. But to begin with, I wanted to start with uh, the question from Ed Hannon, who posted on the website, which was, who... From the history of photography, let's say pre-1960, would you like to interview and what would you ask them? And I'll start by asking that to you, Joe. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Put me on the spot. <laughs> well, you. well, I, I can. Uh, I, yeah, I, I have had a little think about this and uh, there's so many, aren't there? So many amazing photographers. But the person who I probably most like to talk to would be Frank Hurley. As in uh, the adventurer, uh, yeah, uh, Shackleton um, uh, photographer, Shackleton's photographer. Uh, so many questions. Uh, I mean, the, just just surviving that experience uh, w- would have been just from a, a non-photographic point of view would be amazing. But uh, the things in particular, I'd love actually to find out how he solved the problems of of shooting with with such novel materials in such incredibly trying circumstances. And you may recall that um, that when the ship started to go down, uh, the, uh, the Shackleton told him he couldn't take any photographs with him because back then, glass plates, so all the, the three and a quarter by four and a quarter uh, pictures, a quarter plate images, which were the ones that, you know, like us, his large format camera, effectively, um, he put his heart and soul into, he, uh, he had to abandon. But what you may not know is that he soldered up the case in which his favourites, he kept his favourites, and one and uh, the night after the boss told him he couldn't take the pictures with him, he dived into the wreck of the ship as it was going down uh, with some, well, not with his friends, but he got a couple of his uh, shipmates to, to wait for him uh, because he had to, it was like 10 or 15 feet down in the ship unbelievably dangerous stupid crazy and then he pulled the things out and of course those those negatives became the history of uh, of the expedition um and and to a large extent the uh the 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 status of the expedition its legendary and mythological status is at least partly built on frank hurley's photographs and and just yeah the technical side i i know that sounds boring but it isn't boring when you think of the context of how and where the pictures were made and when they were made. Indeed, yes. I mean, the plus, pl- amazing pictures as well to see in the uh, good quality reproductions. Yeah, yeah, they really, really are absolutely fantastic. A brilliant, brilliant photography. So, so that, that's, uh, I guess that's, that's, that would be my choice. And um, 
yeah, probably too many questions to pick out individually, but probably be st- starting around how the hell did you do it? Uh, yeah. And he carried on taking pictures after he, after he left as well. Did he, did he bring a camera out with him or not? Uh, he he. Oh, good question. No, I think he had to abandon uh, the camera. Oh, I, well, I, no, that's not true. He did have a small camera with him, because yeah. there there are still the pictures of uh, of, of the guys leaving in the. Um, of course, there is. Yes. Yes. yes uh, I'm trying to remember. The Elephant name. Island. The, the chain, wasn't it? Yeah, leaving Elephant Island in the something bad, wasn't the, uh, um, it? Cared. Anyway, the, James Cared. The, James Cared. Yes, uh, in that boat, and uh, and and then the return. Although I gather the return was somewhat staged um yeah in, it's a, it's fact. a but, but it's that, a fake so they say well fake in inverted it. commas yeah but i think we can we can let hurley off for that can't we i mean uh, but he was very much a, the storyteller in that respect so he was visualizing pictures as as telling stories and and that was that was why he he wanted to make one like that back then uh but yeah just very briefly tim you know to uh, follow up on that did he did he take the a camera with him? But he also then went straight uh, to France and served in the trenches and and survived. Um, took amazing photographs uh, of the war efforts, uh, I think as a, as a photographer rather than um, as a sort of, uh, you know, a military participant. But of course he was still under fire like everyone else there. Um, yeah, so a pretty extraordinary figure in history, certainly in photographic history. So do you think that story would have been as famous had he not rescued the photographs, really? I personally do think that. And actually, yeah. uh, in fairness to Shackleton, he acknowledged that later. Uh, he, was, he was a huge fan of, of Hurley's. And, uh, and, and when he did do his talks, I mean, he did, I'm not sure how many talks he did af- after the uh, Endurance Expedition because it was the war and he was almost broken by the experience. But he, he used to do many, many slideshows after his expeditions with Scott. And he was, a, he was very much the showman and, and used photography as his main instrument, which is why he saw, uh, you know, having a, a really top photographer with him was an important, you know, as important almost as having a great skipper and navigator and cook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As David. We know, David. <laughs> cooks are very important. I, I can't, I can't right. overemphasize how important cooks are. Yeah. <laughs> um, who would I pick? I think I would probably pick Elliot Porter, um, because I can see lots of alignments with with the kind of subjects that I'm interested in. Uh, he is credited with uh, the coining of the phrase "intimate landscape," which is uh, you know something that I suppose most people uh, associate with my style of photography but obviously he was there a long time before me I would love to know more about his relationship with Ansel Adams in that he started off as Adams protege to an extent Um, Adams felt safe with promoting Porter because um, because Porter was working in colour you know it's all that colour nonsense it doesn't matter it's not black and white um, and then uh, famously got a bit grumpy when Porter actually became quite successful as a colour photographer um, so uh, yeah I'd love to know a little bit more about that uh, but more than more than that I'd love to really kind of just sit down and have a good chat with him about what fascinated him about photography because I think there probably would be a lot of um, points in common between us but also a lot of points that are quite quite different 
Um, I always find it interesting looking at his pictures um, that he embraces chaos more than I do. I'm very concerned with um, uh, a a kind of constrained um, uh, design to a photograph. And you look at a lot of Porter's pictures, they almost feel unfinished. And and I would like to know whether that, as uh, my suspicion is that he that he deliberately left them like that because it, in his eyes, it gave them a power because they were more like a documentary; they were more real. But I would love to ask him if that is the case. Indeed, yeah, yeah, great choice, definitely. How about you, Tim? Tim Come on, Tim. You? Come on. Me? Uh, no, I've not prepared for this one. Okay. Uh, well, I've just, I've, just, I've just been going through some books because we're thinking about doing a, a book club of sorts where both where me and David and Joe all look at a classic book of, about photography uh, and then at the end of a week or however long it takes to look at it, we'll have a chat about it. I'm a slow uh, reader. Books... I don't know if I've warned you I'm a slow reader. You're all right. I think I think you've read the one I was looking at, which was uh, Moy Bridges. Yeah. Motion studies. Yeah. So, uh, I, I and and the reason I think that would be quite interesting is because he he must have been an absolute geek, and he was also stark raving mad from the sounds of it. Yeah. Um, yeah so Moy Bridge did all the uh, essentially the first moving images of, of fast motion of horses and people dancing, and became quite a celebrity at the time. But if you look at his backstory as well he was also a uh, quite an accomplished landscape photographer if not an environmentalist by some of what he got up to he was also a murderer he was a murderer yeah, wasn't he yeah, yeah. So. got away got it got away with it yeah though. we need to keep those I, secrets I, wasn't, that tradi- <clears throat> wasn't that traditional in the united states at the time uh, in the west <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well maybe yeah yeah um it, it, the, uh, that motion studies book is is excellent, uh, Rebecca Sonnet's book. I think it's a really fantastic um, book, and um, I, I would recommend it to to anybody. But maybe we'll leave further discussion on that for um for when we do our book club. Definitely, great stuff. Well, yeah, th- thanks to Ed. Good question. Uh, our next question um, from Dave Barrow uh, says: If people are trying to look at projects around the house, and that's another thing we're going to come to later. Um, will it make them better photographers when they eventually go out and do landscape photography? Um, are we talking about putting shelves up? Uh, <laughs> I presume I presume it's not. Although we could we could go with that. So uh, no, I, I was thinking more in the uh, vein of um, folding paper, taking photographs of found items around the house, or building uh, little um, what would you call them? curiosities to photograph um yeah i think it i think it uh, certainly stands a good chance of uh, of Im- improving their photographic skills N- not in the sense of um technical skills necessarily although it could have that that side effect but i think uh anything that kind of um teaches people to um go through some visual exercises to to limber up their ability to see things i think is a is is a worthwhile thing to do, and uh, and if you're working outside your comfort zone, and I know this is something that I I encourage a lot with, and Joe does as well when we're on workshops, is um, 
to try and get people to shoot stuff that they wouldn't normally shoot or in a way that they wouldn't normally shoot it. I think that's a very good way to, to ex, uh, expand your horizons. Um, so yeah, I think it probably, it has that potential, whether it actually achieves that without the feedback of um, somebody uh, doing a critique of what they've done, I'm not sure. Yeah. No, I th I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of the idea, really. Uh, I, I mean, I agree with everything that, that David said, I, and I would just sort of further add to that. that uh, Can I just point out that that's I've... been recorded now, that you said you agree with everything that I've said? <laughs> oh, no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't in trouble, I'd be on unknown, uncharted territory. And all yeah, that. scary. Uh, yeah. yeah, just... <laughs> um, yeah, it's really more the point that... Uh, in many ways, uh, in what's indoors, interiors, and still life, I suppose. I mean, if and it doesn't have to be though; it can be sort of fusion of those genres. But really, it's not so different to landscape. It's just smaller. So yeah, you are out of your comfort zone, but really, you're still having this wonderful opportunity to explore form and space, line, tone, and relationships, which yeah. are, are common are common to landscape. So. Yeah, I think it is a way of keeping of keeping practice in that sense, and perhaps by being in a different kind of space, it it encourages you to analyze the way that light works with more precision. After all, you can control the light in, indoors. It's something that's really hard to do, obviously outdoors. So, uh, I think you can gain insights from that. I mean, one of the things that you know we we often discuss is how you know we we both have an assisting background and. Uh, photographing cars is something we've generally done indoors where you can control the light but perhaps rather counterintuitively you're always trying to make the light look like it was outdoors um, because it's from you know give it, giving it a natural quality well I think um, probably the and, best yeah. exemplar is, is is western isn't it you know the peppers or or any of the other little tabletop things the nautilus shells that he did um, he actually that was a springboard in a way for a lot of the the, the photography that he did later on um because it yeah exactly yeah and historically he he then tended to do more work outdoors yeah. more landscape work you know once he built up this sort of hyper confidence in his in his own ability uh by by doing all that still life work which which occupied quite a few years of his life i think i think people get the chance to to try multiple variations of things as well if they're working indoors they can come back to them they can sit on them and wait and try something the next day when they've thought about it as well which is uh, something that is possible outdoors but becomes more difficult exactly yeah and it's so it's, it's a rapid feedback loop and, and that's that side of it's really good and there's a you know many other photographers one could think of but a person who springs to mind, and I'm sure you were going to mention him anyway, Tim, is John Blakemore. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who who did an enormous amount of his photography indoors, uh, and 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 who uh, you know, I mean, he was shooting uh, film um, and processing and so on himself. So he he did have a feedback process, and uh, that was pretty rapid. Uh, not quite not quite as quick as the uh, playback of a digital, but um, but within a, a kind of a way that, as you say, he could then move on, try something different, move something just a small amount, for example, mm. uh, make a different exposure. And, and that's that's a fantastic way of working. I know I've spoken to people who were at the uh, university when he was a lecturer at Derby. I think, is that right? Yeah. Um, and he would have his projects just hanging in the windows and things um, for, for months on end, trying different things out. 
so coming back to them a week later or a day later. One of the virtues of John's uh, of way of working is that his house, is, I hope nobody minds knowing this, is quite small and his, his garden is quite small, but it's beautiful. And mm. there's, he, just was a, he just sort of moves in and, in and out between the two and finds inspiration almost just, I mean, it's just a, he's a miraculous photographer in the way that he sees the world and it's so experimental. I think we have, a, really inspiring. we have an article about his books book project because it's, uh, it, it's really a demonstration of how creative he was when you look at, I think he's, I, I was looking at maybe about 15 or 20 books he'd done uh, and each one of those explores an idea of some sort. Um, so that, that we've got some extracts of those in the magazine. I'll try and provide a link to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he, he's, a, he's a classic example of somebody working an idea and then for years in some cases, isn't he? I mean, the tulips um, or the the kind of weeds ones, the ones with the thistles, each of those ideas, he worked for a very long time. Uh, Decades, yeah. 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 Um, and and they're, they're, they're wonderful because he actually really applied himself to that. Um, he was also, you know, open to how how the narrative that he was exploring might change. He didn't have a very fixed view of what he was going to do. It developed over time, and that and that's a really key thing, I think, for any photographer who wants to uh, increase their um, creative arsenal is to actually be open to to different influences. Okay, I'll uh, move on to the next question, which we may have covered already, but uh, we'll, we can exclude uh, John Blakemore from this. Damn. What, from Paul Watson, what are your favourite photographers that have done projects either in their house or garden? Um, uh, well, uh, well uh, Paul Kenny, I suppose. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. yes. Um, so, yeah, I, lo I love his work and I, and I love the... Um, the creativity that that um, the process that he goes through in order to make those those images, some of which the gestation is of the of the single image is weeks or even months um, as as he's um, evaporating the salt and and moving the objects which cause the um, the shapes, um, but it all links back to a to a place in the real world. I think I think they're they're fantastic. Um, uh, he would probably be the next person who comes to mind for me. Joe, any ideas? Yeah, no, I I, I had to endorse that completely. And uh, I, I mean, I actually, especially seeing some of Paul's recent work, I hope when that you know becomes uh, in the public domain that his work will become that much more celebrated because it really does deserve to be. Uh, I, I was I was actually just going to mention briefly uh, Irving Penn who. I'm not sure if it was actually in in his house or in his studio, but uh, but photographed many found objects. He he tended to sort of collect stuff uh, for his personal work. Uh, it, sometimes it was a vase of flowers, and he would let the flowers sort of go off, and uh, you know they're kind of decaying, but they have an amazing beauty. His his stylistically is very austere, uh, but there's something very confronting about that, and uh, it's kind of fascinating to see. So, yeah, Penn, I suppose, that is, is the person who springs to mind. And I've already mentioned, well, we've mentioned Elliot Porter as being a... Um, and, oh, sorry, Edward Weston, yes. I meant to say, yeah. uh, who worked an enormous amount with still lives and uh, little projects from the market, etc. Yeah, 
He was a good toilet photographer as well. He was, yeah. Um, I just sort of point. <laughs> yeah, out. a month uh, in Mexico City. I think he applied to photographing that toilet bowl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and what a toilet bowl! And and really, the it's the it's just the, his observation of form and light that's just so fantastic. And it does. I know that you know. I sometimes go up into the into the bathroom on uh, on sunny mornings and see the light bouncing around in there, and it, it reminds me of Edward Weston. I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> Anyway, there we are. Maybe that's what I'm going to do in my lockdown. <laughs> toilet, toilet photography. Yeah. Uh, next question came from Joe Rainbow. Um, and uh, he asks, how does experience and maturity affect the nature of your photography? Although he, he says you'll change that for David to how does experience and age affect the nature of your photography? <laughs> I did notice that comment on your on your Facebook page. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, David. No, I, well, no, fair enough. I don't. I, I would hate to be considered mature. Um, <laughs> uh, how does it affect the nature of my photography? Um, well, experience obviously feeds into every picture you take to 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 an extent. Um, it's all it's all layered. Everything. Every picture is built on what you've learned from. From previous pictures and and the uh, the techniques that you acquire over over time, um, you know you disappear down little rabbit holes. Oh, I, we especially used to find this with using the large format camera. You you find some technique to do with movement that you'd not realised, and then you would explore that for a while, or maybe you you get a new lens and you explore that. So it all it all feeds in. Um, Age or maturity. Um, <laughs> I, I I struggle more with that one. I think really because I, I I in lots of ways I don't feel any different than I did in my twenties. I I think that um, I still try and see the world uh, with a naivety uh, whenever I can when I'm making pictures because I think that's that's key uh, to trying to uh really kind of get insights into things it's it's so easy to to get used to what we see around us and i think you need to uh, i think it was bill brandt said you need to see things things with the eyes of a child so uh yeah i'm not sure about the maturity bit but then you would expect me to say that <laughs> well that's a good point is maturity maturity does come with downsides many of the famous photographers did most of their work towards the the, the front of their careers. Uh, like me, uh, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, name me no names. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, it, 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 it can happen. I think people can get stuck in a um, a creative rut or a uh, a successful rut, maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe happens, suffering from happens. the Vetrianos. <clears throat> Sorry, just wanted to jump in because I think yeah. that happens in, in other uh, art forms as well. It's not, not by any means exclusive to photography too. So... You know, being able to reinvent yourself uh, at least on one level or another is, is something that is kind of almost inevitable if you're going to progress uh, in some ways, I think, creatively. And it is really, it's inevitable that you will have crises. I think it is anyway. Well, it certainly has been for me. Um, but, you know, you just got to keep you keep going, I, I think. And I, I mean, I'll just briefly I'll answer a little more briefly. I think in my case, it, it's, I, I do feel looking back, that although, although like David, I still... I'd still have a lot that's in common with with early days in in the sense of trying to see with us in my case i would just describe it as a sense of wonder in, in nature which continues to inspire me 
Um, but the, in, in terms of when I was younger, I, I feel my work was quite shouty. And I hope that it's got quieter. So maybe that's confidence. Maybe it's less confidence. Who knows? But um, it's it's probably quieter. So I, I use colour in a much less strident fashion now. Uh, I think, and uh, probably um, I'm I'm happy to uh, rely on the thing itself, or the place and space itself. Uh, to uh, to speak um, rather than trying to impose a style um, on, uh, on on the work, um, but you know it's it's an aspiration. And uh, I, I'm, some people have said I think, think my work is sort of a little bit softer. Um, it's probably because I can't focus properly anymore. But uh, who knows? That's um, the maturity bit. That. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. We're, yeah, we wear glasses uh, so, now, yes. after all. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> So, but it, I mean, I, I put, I, I just briefly, and I, I think maybe this is going to come up in another question, but I just, and I enjoy taking pictures and making pictures as much as I ever have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I found that the, the biggest thing for me was not worrying about taking pictures, um, which, which can be a downside in that you don't get quite the, the impetus, the itch that I think I had originally when I first started photography. Because uh, I haven't taken pictures for a while, but I'm starting starting to again. But I don't worry any don't worry about not creating. I think that's one one thing that's quite nice that comes with uh, maturity. Yeah, I don't know if that's maturity, but I I completely agree with you. I think um, I, I think it's very important not to stress about it. So if I have a day when I'm out and I'm I'm making images and I don't make any that I don't like. I don't make any that I like. Rather, I don't, I don't worry about that. Um, and well, we we spoke to Paul Wakefield at the, at the conference, and he said he didn't take any pictures for a year and a half. I think for uh, yeah, I think he meant I think he meant specifically on on large format. But yeah, I think he has he has taken um, extended breaks. I think yeah, um, and, and yeah. well, I I effectively took a year's break when I went to Botswana. I didn't really make any pictures, but well, nothing apart from kind of uh, memory pictures um, for a year. Yes. Uh, and I, I didn't bother me at all. Um, in fact, it was a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question from Morag. Oh, from uh, Trim Iverbergsmo. Um, what motivates you to go out and make new images after having been photographers for such a long time? Joe. <laughs> oh, well, okay. A long, uh, long time. I think in my case, I, I love going for a walk um, and, you know, having the camera is a good excuse to go for a walk. So uh, that, that's a very simplistic way of uh, putting it. But it, yeah, just just going for a walk in the woods is uh, just I just love to do. And if I've got my camera with me, it, it encourages me to really pay attention. So I, th I think that's probably the main reason. Uh, yes, it, it, it's um, it's also true. I just love the creative process. Uh, and I mean, I. I don't know. I can't see myself going a year, for example, without taking pictures. But you know, it, it's it's possible. Anyway, I haven't tried it yet, <laughs> and um, I'm 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 not going to anytime soon. But uh, uh, damn, just love of <laughs> love of nature, um, and and just just the sheer pleasure of, of being alive and, and outdoors. I think that's that's really my answer. So, do you think when you when you're outdoors anyway, it's just part of how you see? Uh, I think it's interesting. It changes how you experience the outdoors, mm. and and I do think there are, are times when 
it's good not to have the definitely good not to have the camera but actually at the moment that's the case most of the time i'm dog walking every day which is a way of, of getting the exercise and pleasure of having a look at, at especially the spring coming um but I, I do miss the the challenge that it gives me too. So it's it, sometimes it's nice just to be relaxed and, and not feel pressured about about making pictures. But the actually searching for a picture process is something that I also love. So um, I, I think that's uh, it, two different experiences. Let's say. David, um, I think what motivates me to take pictures generally um, is about solving puzzles solving visual puzzles um so i will notice something and i will try and work out how to make that into uh an image within the constraints of the of the frame um and the collapsing of the all those dimensions into into the two that you present uh and maybe collapsing it from color into black and white all of those complex things it's that puzzle solving thing that that fascinates me and actually I have noticed that when I'm teaching, um, that quite often I don't I don't feel the need to make any pictures myself because I've helped somebody else to make a picture, and so I've participated in that puzzle solving exercise. And I feel, you know, it's like doing crosswords or Sudoku or or any of those things. They're all things that uh, I think humans are hardwired to enjoy. Um, I would love to say that it's it's getting the exercise like joe says but i am fundamentally lazy i am fundamentally <laughs> lazy and um i can relate to and I, you know i like going for a walk but i'm perfectly happy if i don't go for a walk as well so um and I'm, I'm i'm also perfectly happy for some periods not to make pictures um i i don't feel driven did i feel driven when i was younger um yeah i guess i did because uh, the exploration was all new um, and also it was it was my living so I had to I had to produce um, product as it were um, but uh, I'm not I'm not an especially driven person I don't think um, you know maybe that's why the third book hasn't arrived because I don't feel I don't feel the need to to get out there and expand my point of view um, I really enjoy the process of teaching. I think probably in a way the process of being with other photographers and helping them to uh, see things is probably now maybe a bigger um, uh, driver for me than actually making pictures myself. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll aim the next question at yourself uh, as well, which is... Um, which is how? Uh, oh, David. Okay, are you managing to stay creative during lockdown? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah. No, I haven't made any any photographs at all during lockdown. Uh, not even on the phone. Um, I think, like a lot of people, I was very uh, consumed with uh, just the shift to start off with and trying to understand what was happening. Um, yeah. And uh, it's so far away from what I do photographically. Uh, you know, if I was a news photographer, I'm sure this would be one of the most exciting, or a documentary photographer of some kind, this is one of the most exciting periods in my life, I should think, probably. Um, although not being able to go out might be a, might be a bit of an issue. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, no, I think we said in, a, in an earlier podcast, I've been reading some yeah. some 
books on photography. Um, I have not lifted the camera. Um, do I feel I've missed it? Not yet. Joe? Uh, well, I haven't been very creative, I don't think, but I have uh, I have done quite a lot of photography simply by, uh, by wading through my archive, uh, which I needed to do for backup reasons, but I've also taken the opportunity to delete lots of dross uh, and and you know rediscover one or two really you know the what pictures that have been passed by and, uh, and and which I think are worth another look at so that's been enjoyable and I've done quite a lot of post-production I've been printing so I think I don't know if that's creative I think it is but uh, maybe not so directly as, as actually picture making but the the great thing about printing is is it does encourage you to uh, consider light and form and, uh, and relationships and, and all of the fundamentals of, of image making generally. So I suppose a little bit creative maybe, but uh, but yeah, obviously it is difficult when you can't just head off, uh, you know, even even locally, it's it's quite inhibiting. Um, you know, it's, it's really difficult to know what, what the, the rules are. Uh, I, I sort of feel that our local woods ought to be legitimate subject matter, but we are supposed to be there for exercise only, and I'm not sure whether standing with my tripod really qualifies. But anyway, it's a bit, it's a woolly definition, isn't it? It's probably it is. Best. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's deliberate. It's, and it's best to wear on being careful. Uh, certainly, I'm hopefully considerate of, of anybody else around, and we're social di distancing extremely well, and everybody in the village has got the hang of it, and and so on now. But uh, but even so, I, I you know I want to play my part and not look like I'm exploiting the the circumstances in that sense uh, but yes it, it's so it's frustrating at times particularly when you know those beautiful fresh leaves are appearing on the trees and they're in the backlit and so on it, it, you know the there is a um, for me quite a strong you know drive to get my camera out and take a photo mm -hmm. okay I'll come back sorry I, I was going to say I did I did want to say I thought the way David described um, you know the creative process brilliant I, I I do agree with that wholeheartedly I just had never been able to articulate it so well about problem solving and, and the jigsaw puzzle because that is what makes it so enjoyable. Oh, combine the last two questions together. Um, we have one from Tony Higginson, which is uh, after lockdown is over and the government decides everyone is allowed to uh, leave their houses, if they were only allowed to let you access to one country outside of the UK for the rest of your lives, which country would you choose? Um, this is in terms of landscape photography. And on, on top of that, we've got a question from Mike Prince, which is related. How sustainable is frequent air travel for landscape photographers from now on? Oof, who, who wants to pick that good. one up? <laughs> Go on, Joe, uh, you can have it. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll dive in. I, I, th I think that uh, the question about uh, about which country is is really, um, I, I mean, it's a good question, but also it's very difficult to answer because clearly there are some countries that are absolutely gigantic and, and you know, have a have hundred lifetimes worth of, you know, photographic, interesting photographic locations to visit, like the United States or yeah. Russia or Canada or whatever. But um, uh, so I, I'd like to come in a bit tighter, as it were, and, and choose Tasmania. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. which is, it's a, I mean, Australia itself is a very convivial country to visit and, and live in, not least obviously because they do speak English there, but uh, uh, it's a very relaxed place. And Tasmania is a very, very beautiful part of the world. It's still, uh, it, it still obviously has its, its kind of parts that have been ruined or, uh, or whatever, um, but 
Um, un unlike many first world countries, uh, there is true wilderness still uh, in a third of the state. Um, so for the kind of wilderness junkie like me, it's a, it would be it would satisfy that um, you know that desire to see the wild world from time to time, uh, and it's it has a fabulous climate. Um, yeah, so just a, a beautiful place. So that would be my choice on, on that one. Um, and what was the second question? How, how sustainable is frequent air travel for landscape photographers? Okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll have a think about that and David can answer the uh, where to go one. Okay, David. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a variation uh, on, on a question that kind of gets asked a lot, um, although relating it to coronavirus. Um, I So many people who are non-photographers, when I tell them what they do, they say, oh, well, where's your favourite country? Oh, yeah. And I can't say I have one. Um, so that's, that's a very difficult one I think it would end up being uh, constrained according to the um, the term that he excludes i.e visiting family and friends you know so in, yeah. in those in those terms I think it probably would be New Zealand given that um, my partner's from New Zealand and that's probably where I would end up um, going to if I couldn't go anywhere else um, there's probably enough scope to play with in New Zealand as well. There is, but if we take it on to Mike's um, how sustainable is frequent air travel, then it's got the worst carbon footprint of going anywhere on the planet, hasn't it, from somebody oh, from yes. the UK? Yes. So it's it's a it's a very difficult one, that. Um, so maybe I'd just move there. I must admit, I've, 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 I've um, thought about it and... and decided well we, when we went to Norway it was a bit of an exception but we thought we'd probably not want to fly again if possible or try and restrict our flights because when we moved to Scotland we moved to an area that we wanted to live and spend time in and why not why not spend as much time as possible yeah no I I, I mean I, I I'm I fully agree with that restriction um and I'm in a I'm in a kind of a a, a catch-22 situation in that I run foreign photographic yes. tours, which yeah. is a which um, I'm reduced the number of foreign photographic tours that I run, and I'm and I'm doing carbon offset. Um, I hope I'm doing carbon offset in a way that's actually useful. It's very difficult to to audit that process, yes. um, but um, I I don't think I believe that we should stop travelling altogether. I think that that there has to be um, some kind of balance that we can strike there. I actually think that after all of this lockdown is lifted and and it's not going to be lifted miraculously in one go, it's going to bump along the bottom for some considerable time, I think um, there will probably be quite a reluctance for people to get into germ tubes, as somebody <laughs> described <laughs> them the other day. Um, and... Uh, so I think there'll be a reluctance to travel because of that uh, for quite some considerable time. But I also think an awful lot of airlines, unless they have state sponsorship, will probably go bust. Uh, yeah. And so I think that the, the opportunities to travel will be diminished. And all of that together will almost will, will definitely be better for the planet. Um, so um, I, I, I think... Uh, we won't probably have that much choice about it. Um, no, I, d I don't think air flight can return to the price it used to be. 
That's for sure. No, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't see how the bargain guys are, are going to carry on. But mm. you know, everybody picks on flying, but actually, it's it's nowhere near the worst thing. No, absolutely not. You know, a, a cruise ship is much worse. Going ten days on a cruise ship is much worse than spending several flights. Um, yeah, but yeah, and and also there are other. Sorry to jump in, guys, but there's there's other industries. For example, like um, like fast fashion, which consume far more of the world's resources than than all travel combined. I believe it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. incredibly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know that does put it into perspective, which is and why then, I'm still wearing a the... T-shirt from 1973. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I was going to say the three of us do quite well on that. <laughs> exactly, um, top scholars. I, I just, just briefly, I, I think everything you, you've said is, has been spot on. But um, I just wanted to add. I think that the, the, I don't know what the answer is. Is it sustainable? Um, the answer is it, it, it probably isn't. Um, and and really, I think it gets down to the the, the conundrum that we face um, as anybody who's at least leading uh, workshops, for example, uh, has has to ask what what's the balance between um, the damage that we we might be doing uh, with our travel as against the uh, the experience uh, of uh, providing an eyewitness encounter with places that have great wonder or but where you just want to be able to share i mean this is this is i, I think i'm answering my own question here but um i do feel that places that are, are not known about are also easily neglected uh so and places of great beauty to, should be protected in my opinion uh it's difficult for that to happen when um when nobody knows about them at the same time when places are known about then other people want to visit them and so uh you know it can it can have a an unexpected consequence perhaps but whether we are as it were to blame for that is debatable so i think my guess is that uh whether this is just from the point of view of landscape photographers or from the world at large we'll we'll end up with some form of rationing where people who travel a lot will have to pay as it were, a cumulative taxation uh, on additional travel. Whereas for people who, you know, for whom one or two flights a year is a big deal, um, they shouldn't be taxed on that. But for those of us who travel a lot, you probably have to pay uh, maybe even a progressive tax for uh, for cumulative flights. It is. That's it not is very, true. Not a very popular suggestion, but it might yeah. have to come. People, people might say that they by paying incremental taxes, they're, they're doing a little bit of that already. But um, that's tough to say when the top taxpayers aren't paying the top taxes. Um, well, if they were if they were paying them, it would be probably be fine, wouldn't it? But as yeah. we know, a lot don't. But we don't we don't really know. That's that's the truth of it. And uh, it is also true that the top taxpayers do pay a huge amount of tax, and th- and so and they should do. I think the um, I think the thing is it's the balance, just like um, veganism, vegetarianism, meat eating. It's not binary whether one is right or the other is wrong, uh, and it's about achieving a sustainable balance between uh, all aspects. So, like you say, it would be nice if people could travel occasionally. They do say it's a cure for racism, etc. Being exposed yeah. to different countries and the landscape changes people's attitudes. No, I so think that's true. Have- yeah. It's, it's for us, it's been incredibly enriching. I, I, I think that from an educational point of view, it's the most amazing experience that, that one can have in life is, is to be able to travel to different, different countries 
meet people from different parts of the world, experience the kind of the sense of common humanity that we share and, and realize that the differences are cultural. And, and those cultural differences are, are really, really enriching and they, they provide perspective. And also seeing landscapes teaches you about your own landscape. So by the differences and sometimes the similarities, whether it's Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, um, mountain landscape, uh, you know, equatorial, whatever, uh, we, we all learned and benefited greatly from that. I mean, you don't have to go to those places, but the, the beauty of it is, is it encourages your curiosity about about the world. I, I think the the most important thing about travelling to places is is that when you get there, you actually engage with the place, and it's not like some kind of grand um, uh, theme park, which unfortunately a yeah. lot of people treat travel in that in that way. And and um, you know, I don't I, I I don't want to single any any group out, but I think a lot of of the travel industry is designed to make people think that that's what it's about. And and I know when we were working in the, um, in the safari camp in Botswana, there were people who came who treated it as if it was some giant theme park. We even, you know, you heard stories of people saying, well, how come you haven't got the lions with the cubs right outside the park? Why can't you organize that? You know, why aren't they right next to the camp every morning when we get up? because wow. they're wild you know um and there are people who feel that that's what you know that the world is out there for their entertainment like that and that to me that's not the right reason to travel the reason to travel is no. to actually engage with the cultures and the places and to learn something deep and meaningful about those places by going there sorry oh. soapbox that's great. soapbox well, th thank you very much for, for all the answers and to everybody for submitting questions. Uh, there were some, some great questions and it uh, led to some good discussion. Um, what I'd like to leave with now is a, a, a challenge for, or, yeah, call it a challenge for both <laughs> you, you, David and Joe. Taking photographs indoors, I'd like you to come back and by the time we do the next podcast, maybe in a week's time. Toilet bowls, a, Joe, a, toilet a, bowls. <laughs> I'm working on your it. toilet bowl challenge. Four photographs <laughs> on 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 a theme inside the house. Four photographs in a week. That's a year's output for Four. me. <laughs> <laughs> Four. Uh, you can present me... three of them as work in progress, and then the fourth one as a final, if you wish. <laughs> okay, uh, Tim. Meanwhile, what what about this? Ex some excellent remaining questions. Obviously, not enough time for that now. But uh, will we be uh, have a chance to tackle those? Uh, going forward we shall continue uh, we shall have another another podcast in a week's time and we'll fantastic. carry on where we left off brilliant sounds great all right yeah well we'll have a crack at that i better dust off the 10 by 8 <laughs> <laughs> i was just going to use my iphone that's not <laughs> oh no <laughs> thank you very much joe and david thank you you're welcome cheers tim